We've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Eric Reamer for April 4th, 2023. Today we welcome Mary Stanfield with an update on the International Code Set ICD-11. It's the first of a two-part series on World Health Day. Lori Johnson has the latest coding news. Tiffany Ferguson covers the social determinants of health. Tim Powell is at the Tuesday News Desk. And Dr. Reamer presents her talkback segment. Now here's the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and the owner of the world's largest xylophone, Chuck <laughs> 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 Thanks, Clark Anthony. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and welcome to the 548th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Good morning, Erica. <laughs> good morning, Chuck. I'm very excited about our new format. And good morning, everyone. Nice yes, to see you. Yes, indeed. Hello. And as you heard Clark announce, we are ushering in a two-part series beginning with this broadcast that recognizes World Health Day, and specifically ICD-11, because you know, Erica, it is on the horizon. Yes, it's looming on the horizon, just like my <laughs> retirement. Yeah, indeed, Erica, very much. So uh, that's a very good take on that uh, subject. By the way, what are you going to be talking about during your talkback segment today? I need to revisit the colonoscopy after Cologuard issue to clarify it once and for all. Once and for all, very good. Excellent topic. And as always, Erica, we do look forward to your talkback segment, and we have much news reports. So we begin this morning with Tim Powell. Tim is at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. Thanks, Chuck. And last week, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, released an announcement for the calendar 2024 Medicare Advantage capitation rates for Part C and Part D. The capitation rates provide the base amount paid to MA plans prior to risk adjustments. The Biden administration finalized a proposal to raise Medicare Advantage payments by 3.32% in 2024, slightly above the initial 1% that it had proposed. The IRA made several improvements to the standard Part B drug benefit defined by the Social Security Act. Part B benefit-related IRA updates that will be in place for current year 24 include the following. Beginning in 2024, cost-sharing for Part D drugs will be eliminated for beneficiaries in the catastrophic phase of coverage. Also beginning in 2024, the low-income subsidy program under Part D will be expanded so that beneficiaries who earn between 135 and 150% of the federal poverty level and meet statutory resource limit requirements will receive the full U.S. subsidies that prior to 2024 were available only to beneficiaries earning less than 135% of the federal poverty level. And these subsidies provide no premium and no and low cost co-payments for prescription drugs. Also during 2024, Part D plans must, must not apply the deductible to any Part D covered insulin products, this is great news, and must discharge no more than $35 per month supply of covered insulin product in the initial coverage phase and the coverage gap phase. Also during fiscal 2024, Part D plans must not apply the deductible to an adult vaccine recommended by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices I must charge no cost sharing at any point in the benefit for such vaccines. And finally, beginning in 2024, the annual growth for the base beneficiary premium will be capped at 6%. The base beneficiary premium for Part D is limited to the lesser of 6% of, of an annual increase or the amount that would otherwise apply under the prior methodology had the IRA not been enacted. So these are all positive things. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim, very much. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert, and he's the ICD-10 monitor. National Correspondent, it's Tuesday, it's April the 4th, 
and you're listening to the 548th live edition of Talking Tuesday. Stand by. Why should you focus on SDOH data and ICD-10 CMC codes? How can you integrate the capture of these elements into your workflows? Get guidance now before new CMS assessment and reporting mandates take effect. Register to gain access to the timely webcast, Social Determinants of Health, How to Maximize Data and C-Code Capture. For hospitals, SDOH and the use of corresponding ICD-10 CMZ codes are growing in importance, particularly as CMS aims to mandate SDOH assessments and reporting. During this exclusive ICD-10 Monitor webcast, Tiffany Ferguson and Marie Steinbuck will walk you through essential concepts specific to the capture of SDOH data and C-codes, as well as CMS reporting guidelines and requirements. The webcast is April 13th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Register to attend at the ICD University Bookstore. Now's the time for the Talk 10 Tuesday coding report. Lori Johnson, and good morning, Lori Johnson. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica, and hello to our listeners. And welcome to our new platform. Hot off the press is the proposed rule for inpatient rehabilitation facilities. It was released at 5 o'clock p.m. yesterday. This proposed rule was issued to update Medicare payment policies and rates under inpatient rehabilitation facility prospective payment system and the Associated Quality Reporting Program for fiscal year 2024. CMS estimates that overall payments will increase 3.7% in fiscal year 24. CMS is proposing to update payment rates by 3%, which is based on proposed ERF market basket of 3.2% less a proposed 0.2% productivity adjustment. To adjust the outlier threshold to maintain outlier outlier payments at 3% of total payments. This change results in a 0.7% increase in outlier payments. To all hospitals to open a new IRF unit uh, and begin receiving payment under ERF PPS at any time during cost reporting period to relieve administrative burden. To adopt a 2021-based IRF market basket, which includes changes to market basket, cost weights, price, proxies, market basket update, and labor-related share. Updates proposed for the quality reporting program include adopt the discharge function score measure beginning fiscal year 25, adopt the COVID-19 vaccine measure which is percent of patients and residents who are up to date beginning fiscal year 26. This measure adds a new field into the earth pie. Modify COVID-19 vaccination coverage among healthcare professional beginning fiscal year 25, earth um, QRP, and remove the following measures from fiscal year 25. The application of functional assessment care plan, the earth functional outcome measure, change in self-care score for medical rehabilitation patients, the ERF functional outcome measure, change the mobility score for medical rehabilitation patients, and to begin public reporting of the transfer of health information 
to provider PAC measure and transfer of health information to the patient PAC measure um, with September 2024 compare um, care, care compare refresh. You can find the IRF proposed rule in the newsroom on the Medicare website. Also, as a reminder, Friday is the deadline for submitting comments for for procedure codes discussed at the March CNM meeting. Um, Comments on procedure codes should be sent to ICD procedure code request at cms.hhs.gov. And with that, Erica, back to you. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is Senior Healthcare Consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Here now with the Talking Tuesday report on the social determinants of health is Tiffany Ferguson. And good morning, Tiffany Ferguson. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, all. I'm just loving the new format. Last week, the ONC hosted the first of their three-part informational session through the Social Determinants of Health Information Exchange Learning Forum. The first session focuses on values, SDOH principles, and privacy, with reference to the establishment of the ONC Social Determinants of Health Information Exchange Toolkit. The toolkit was created to support communities working toward achieving equity through information exchange and interoperability of SDOH data. The ONC hopes that this toolkit will support service providers to to deliver a coordinated, high-quality, person-centered approach to improve the health of individuals and communities. When working across organizations and sharing data, there are a lot of things to consider. Improving health equity means health care providers are working with such groups as housing organizations, food banks, or senior centers. Not every organization holds the same priorities, the same data requirements, or the same financial budgets. These differences can lead to roadblocks when trying to implement change in local communities. What I gathered from the information released is that the ONC is really trying to convey the message that SDOH data and what is done with this information is important, and if done incorrectly, could create more harm than good, potentially for communities. The toolkit is broken down into foundational elements, which discuss the challenges and opportunities when evaluating health equity. For instance, a challenge that might arise if reviewing SDOH information across organizations if they have misaligned incentives or varying ideas of how interventions will be implemented. The toolkit also addresses requirements for maintaining individual privacy rights and the data use and disclosures for individuals. In all areas of the report, there was a consistent theme recognizing the need for community involvement. Before areas of social determinants are addressed, individuals and stakeholders that are experiencing such issues as housing or transportation deficits or concerns should have a say in how the changes will be made. The ONC will be hosting their next informational session on May 23rd, and all sessions are recorded and available for playback on their website. And with that, back to you, Erica. Thanks, Tiffany. That was Tiffany Ferguson, CEO for Phoenix Medical Management. Chuck, back to you. Thank you both very much. And uh, we will be right back. But first, we've got a very important message for you, so stand by. There is a great deal of confusion surrounding what is and what is not acute heart failure. 
That results in a lot of clinical inconsistency that puts a target on acute and acute on chronic heart failure for payer DRG validation and clinical validation. Without a standardized definition, hospitals will continue to address the validity of acute heart failure documentation and coding inconsistently. During an on-demand webcast, Dr. Beth Wolf will help you cultivate the skills to write a concise and compliant validation query, therefore championing your facility's process surrounding heart failure validation. Register now for this on-demand webcast, Acute Heart Failure, DRG, and Clinical Validation, Keys to Effective CDI, and Successful Appeals. Coming up next, our lead story. The Talk 10 Tuesday lead story is sponsored by Hitex, a physician-automated CDI query tool for both inpatient and outpatients. It's embedded software in Epic System, so you know it's excellent. Find them at Hitex.com. We begin the first of a two-part series here today in recognizing World Health Day, sponsored by the World Health Organization. And one cannot think about World Health Organization, the WHO, without thinking about ICD-11. It's out here. And for an update on this new code set, here is senior healthcare consultant, Mary Stanfield. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Chuck. Thank you. And good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. As you know, in February of 2022, just over a year ago, the World Health Organization released the first official version of ICD-11. With this release of ICD-11 2022, the 11th version of ICD officially went into effect. And in February of 2023, just a few weeks ago, the WHO released the IC-11 2023 version. Since its initial release last year, the WHO has continued to encourage all member countries to move to IC-11. And WHO has been working with early adopters. They have an online maintenance platform where essentially anyone can submit a proposal or comment on a code, any of the, the codes or information in the WHO family of international classifications. And the ICD-11 2023 version includes, according to WHO, quote, extensive input from early adopters, translators, scientists, and partners with over 500 proposals that have been processed. Since the ICD-11 22 release, we have five, 500 proposals added to the 2023 release. So um, they are working on it. And, and uh, you know, when I last reported on Talk 10 Tuesday, the WHO was telling us, reporting that IC-11 had been adopted by 35 countries with this 2023 release of the code set. They're now reporting 64 member countries or member, or member states are in different stages of IC-11 implementation, which this could mean, this could refer to adoption for either mortality reporting, morbidity reporting, or both. So where is IC-11? Well, it's definitely out there in use in the world. Meanwhile, here in the US, we have made some recent strides with ICD. For instance, on Friday, the CMS release of uh, the, um, they announced the Medicare Advantage capitation rates for calendar year 2024. And Tim talked about those. Well, that also included, that um, announcement also included updating the CMS HCC model to use ICD-10, which of course the rest of us have been using since 2015. So this is just one example of how we've embedded ICD in a model that has widespread effects. 
And it's this complexity that demands careful consideration and research on the implications in the U.S. before undertaking an ICD transition. So today I can report that the U.S. is poised to make progress on the ICD-11 research that needs to be done. I previously reported that the NCBHS has been urging action that will enable the U.S. to make informed decisions regarding the adoption of ICD-11. The NCBHS first issued recommendations to the Secretary of HHS in November 2019 and again in September 2021. These recommendations include a research agenda to evaluate the use of IC-11 in the U.S. More recently, at the December 2022 full committee meeting, the NCBHS voted on and passed a proposal to establish an ICD-11 workgroup. And that workgroup would include subject matter experts and stakeholders. According to the proposal that was presented in December 2022, the overarching goal of the ICD-11 workgroup is to, quote, craft recommendations to inform development of sound U.S. policy for the transition to and implementation of ICD-11. So with this workgroup expected to begin this year, it's likely we'll be hearing more about IC-11 in the coming months. And our listeners can look for more information on this IC-11 workgroup on the NCBHS website. Their meeting materials, recommendations, reports, presentations, all of this is posted for public on their website. And of course, Talk 10 Tuesday will keep you informed. Back to you, Erica. Thanks, Mary. That was Mary Stanfill, the Vice President of Consulting Services for United Audit Systems. Chuck? Thanks, Erica. And uh, thank you again, Mary. And Mary is the ICD-11 correspondent for Talk 10 Tuesday and ICD-10 Monitor. Now's the time for a very popular segment here at Talk 10 Tuesday. It's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer, it's all yours. Thanks, Chuck. I need to preface this with, I do not know how the ruling out of Texas last week is going to impact what I'm talking about now. Hopefully it won't. But I'm going to try to clear up the screening colonoscopy question once and for all. January 1st, 2023, Medicare coverage for colorectal screening changed. And I think we can thank the Black Panther for this. Chadwick Boseman, who played King T'Challa in the movie Black Panther, died at 43 from colon cancer in August of 2020. It brought back sad memories of one of my favorite nurses, Emmett, who also died of colon cancer in his 30s when I was an emergency medicine resident. Bozeman's light, uh, death shined a light on the incidence of death from colon cancer in people under the age of 50 and people of color. Colon cancer is the third most common cancer, excluding skin cancer, and one in five cases now occur between the ages of 20 and 54. Younger people are more likely to be diagnosed with more advanced later stage disease. Non-Hispanic Black people have the highest rates of CRC and death across all racial groups in the United States. The most current recommendations are for average risk individuals to start colorectal screening at age 45. Screening is, by definition, done in asymptomatic individuals. The question at hand is, does a positive Cologuard, Guaiac, or Hemocol test make a patient no longer considered asymptomatic. Cologuard is marketed as a screening tool. 
It detects altered DNA and or blood in the stool. Fecal occult blood tests can be done as a screening measure as opposed to being done to investigate black or bloody stool as well. Approximately 13% of fecal occult blood tests are false positives. Medicare's current stance is that the non-invasive stool-based test and the follow-on colonoscopy are both part of a continuum of a complete CRC screening. In other words, a colonoscopy which is prompted by a positive screening cologuard or hemocult is still considered screening and not diagnostic, assuming nothing is found on the study. If a polyp cancer or other lesion is found and is biopsied or excised, that converts the screening test to a diagnostic test retroactively. This is a different kettle of fish, which I am not stirring today. The Medicare Claims Processing Manual was revised in February, backdated to January 1st, 2023. It gives the HCPCS codes G0121 for a screening colonoscopy for a non-high-risk individual and G0105 for a high-risk individual. The modifier of KX, that's K as in kite, X as in x-ray, is attached to designate that this service was performed as a follow-on screening after a fecal occult blood test positive result. And this indicates that the service will be completely covered. For commercial insurers, you're supposed to use the code for uh, the CPT code, that is 45378 with a modifier of 33, which denotes preventative services. The government wants to remove the barrier of cost to try to undergo patients to under to try to encourage patients to undergo screening for colorectal cancer early. A coding clinic from 2019 first quarter advised that a negative colonoscopy, which was elicited by a positive cologuard test, should be considered diagnostic because there was a finding which triggered the study. However, the fecal occult blood test and the follow-up colonoscopy are now considered to conjointly constitute effective screening for colorectal cancer as long as there are no other signs or symptoms, it doesn't say findings, signs or symptoms which elicited any of the workup. The colonoscopy is not considered diagnostic. I am not a coder or one of the cooperating parties, but I do understand the clinical situation and the intent of coding pretty well. These patients should get the ICD-10 CM code of Z12.1 dash, indicating encounter for screening for malignant neoplasm of colon or rectum or whatever, as well as R19.5 other fecal abnormalities, which is the code you use for a positive cologuard or fecal occult blood test. I can see the rationale for using either for first listed, and I don't believe that there really is any strong um, necessity to sequence either one first, but you guys who are real coders can actually type in the comments and I'll look at them when I get a chance. Additional personal family history codes can be used as well. Remember, the coding clinic is its best advice available at the time that they are giving the advice, and things can change. 
our coding has to be dynamic as well. I want to cap off this talk back with a PSA. Signs and symptoms which could signal colorectal cancer are a change in bowel habits like diarrhea, constipation, urge to have a bowel movement, or feeling like you haven't completely emptied, black or bloody stools, rectal bleeding, abdominal pain, decreased appetite, unintended weight loss, weakness, or fatigue. If you experience any of these, see your healthcare provider. A workup will not be a screening. It will be diagnostic because you have signs and symptoms. May Chadwick and Emmett's memories be for a blessing. Chuck, at this point, I'm going to pull Lori Johnson in because she had something to add to my talkback. Hello, everyone. Yeah, just one piece of the puzzle, I guess, is if you have a screening colonoscopy and they find something during the screening that there's an, a, a modifier, which is P as in Paul, T as in Tom, that indicates that this started as a screening colonoscopy, but now has become a diagnostic uh, colonoscopy. And I think that's really important in the data um, to see that piece of information. Thank you very much. And Chuck, now I'm going to actually ask Mary a question. As I was investigating ICD-10 in preparation for them implementing it, I discovered something very interesting. You know how we all use ICD-10-CM here in the United States? Well, mortality actually done, so like death certificates are actually done in ICD-10, which is the WHO version. So Mary, I would like to bring you in and I would like to ask you, are they planning on using ICD-11 for our mortality um, statistics as well? And do we have any idea when that's going to happen? Yes, they, we, re- we will, um, just as we did with ICD-10. It's a separate you know, process and a separate requirement. And in fact, all member, you know, it's part of, a, it's mandated from the WHO as part of a member state that we report mortality data to the WHO in the WHO's format. So we've used ICD-10, the WHO's ICD-10 for mortality data for years, even during that 25 year gap when we were creating and deciding to move to ICD-10-CM for morbidity, we were using ICD-10 for mortality. We will probably do something similar. Um, we will begin using the ICD-11. It'll be, it's required for mortality reporting. Right. The CDC does that and it's a separate process and I actually have not have not worked with the CDC or been in touch with them. I'm not sure exactly when they will do that, um, but it will be almost a non-event. Like we might not even be aware that it's happening because it's not something that that coders really get involved in. And in fact, the NCDHS IC11 work group is going to focus on the uses of IC11 in the U.S. for morbidity. They're not going to touch the mortality because it's mandated and it's going to happen by CDC like I was saying, like I had no idea. And a lot of people I talked to had no idea that ICD-10 was used for our mortality as yeah. opposed to ICD-10-CM, which is very, it is very interesting. Yeah. And, and they do it so that they can, you know, compare statistics. <laughs> right. right. And mortality, worldwide mortality statistics are super important. Yeah, really. Thank you, Mary. All right, Chuck, I think that that's probably as much time as we have for for questions. I think so, too, Erica. And uh, thanks very much, because that is going to be a wrap for our 548th live edition of Talking Tuesday. And I want to thank you very much for being with us today, and I want to thank our panelists this morning. 
Tiffany Ferguson, Lori Johnson, Tim Pell, Mary Stanfield, who reported our lead story, and of course, a very special thank you to my co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer. And remember, folks, you can listen to all the Talk to Tuesday podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. And when you do, rate us. Give us a review. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck reporting for ICD-10 Monitor Talk to Tuesday. Thank you very much for being with us today. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.